Hello. As you know, if you've hung around the colony these past few days or dropped into a huddle recently, uh, we're very interested indeed in chat GPT at the moment. Not the least because its makers, OpenAI, claim that 100% of writers and authors' jobs will be put at risk by this new technology. So, is this tech bro BS, or is it really a thing? I know. Why don't we put it to the test right now, live on air. Chat GPT, please introduce our first guests. There, I'm super excited to introduce our special guests on pop-up submissions, RC Bridgestock. They're a husband and wife Hi. duo with almost 50 years of police experience between them, not to mention a load of crazy good crime books and even a BAFTA award under their belt. You won't want to miss out on the awesome stories, knowledge, and tips they'll be sharing for all you aspiring writers out there. Let's get arrested. How did, how did that do? Give it, give it a rating, Bob and Carol. Fantastic. Five. Yeah. I was quite impressed Absolutely. By that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's see how well the jolly old AI does with our next guest, ChatGBT. Please introduce our second guest. I'm Hornswoggled to introduce Alison Gardner, a creative genius with a flair for poetry, writing, and shoe collecting. She's a New Yorker who knows how to make her mark with words and fashion. And boy, does she know how to boogie. Oh, uh, well, what did you think, Ali? Accurate or what? Well, the, the, a few odd little tiny bits, you know, like the New York and the shoes and that. <laughs> I do love to dance, though. I think it's more accurate than she's letting us know. There we go. This is guaranteed chat GPT free from now on. First submission is called Break Glass. It's a thriller. It's from Ryan, and this is Ryan's blurb. A former spy's past mistake becomes a present danger of biblical proportions. While diving off the coast of East Africa, searching for a lost artifact saved from the Library of Alexandria, Ethan Kane recovers something bigger and more enigmatic than he could ever have imagined. What he finds draws him to the middle of a centuries-long battle that holds the fate of the entire Western world in the balance. What Ethan doesn't realise, his unassuming discovery may just be the key to it all. Interesting or what? I think we're firmly in Indiana territory here. Let me tell you about Ryan. The author's a 12-year-old... Uh, 12... A 12-year... <laughs> Maybe ChatGPT should have written this, actually. Uh, the author is a 12-year veteran Navy helicopter pilot who led a special operations task force throughout Central and South America. He was medically separated after sustaining injuries during an emergency landing. He later worked as an investigator for JAG and the DOD. Before the Navy, he was a scuba diving instructor in Hawaii and technician from microbiology lab conducting Algae Biofuels Research. I remember that. Whatever happened to that? Um, he holds a master's degree in history from Ashland University. He lives with his wife and children in New England. And I'm delighted to say we've got Barbara to kick off the show. Break Glass by Ryan Pote. Read by Barbara. 1. 150 kilometres west of Maputo, Mozambique, Africa. Tell me again, the man said. What was his name? He, Ethan, the woman replied as she sat motionless in a chair opposite a man holding a gun. 
Ethan who? the man said. Kane, Ethan Kane. Good, now we're getting somewhere. His head and face were cleanly shaved. Unlike the others with him, he wore a grey suit over a white linen shirt, the collar open, letting a tuft of chest hair spill out the top. He was Moroccan, or likely Arabic, from his accent. The man smiled as he unloaded the magazine of a Walter PPK 380 pistol, snapping the slide to the rear. The woman flinched. Her hands gripped the table, and its uneven legs trembled gently with the ever-increasing pulse of her heart. A nickel-plated bullet spun through the air, and the man caught it with ease. You see, he said, placing the bullet on the table like a chess piece. I don't need to hurt you. He unloaded each of the five remaining rounds in the magazine, standing them in line like figurines. Then let us, you let us all go, the woman said. The whites of the man's bulging eyes contrasted his burnt and leathery skin. He stared at her. She stared at the table. The silence that followed only made the woman's heart beat faster and the table shook in concert. Wind lapped the waxed canvas walls of the field tent, shading them from the midday South African sun. The silence built like a symphony of fear. Maybe we got off on the wrong note, the man said. I'm Azar Arbab. She looked at him. I know who you are. Azar sat back and placed the gun on the table, clapping. With every crack of flesh and bone, the woman winced. Please indulge me. Who am I? You are the man who funded our expedition. Wrong! Azar picked up a bullet and loaded it into the magazine. I am the owner of the company, the company that funded your expedition. What was it you were supposed to find for me? Azar said. A scroll? And did you find this scroll? The woman paused. Yes. And where is that scroll now? Azar asked. Silence. Azar slammed the fist on the table. The bullets jumped and fell over. Where is it now? She swallowed, her reply delayed by the sound of ammunition rolling like marbles along the table. I don't know, she said. Because why? Because another company and a subtractor took it, stole it, passed around the survey systems. Azar picked up each bullet and loaded them back into the magazine. He repeated her answer before snapping the magazine into the pistol. He nodded to a man in the doorway who blocked the sun. The man left, allowing light to cast shadows over Azar's face like the dark side of the moon. How long ago did he leave? Azar said. Ethan Kane? The name found his own ears with brooding contempt. He flicked the words clean off his tongue. Maybe one week ago. The woman's eyes followed the muzzle of the pistol as Azar brought it up to his own temple and tapped his bony skull. I don't have to hurt you, he said. I know this. Suddenly, bursts of gunfire filled the air. Azar didn't flinch. Tears flowed down the woman's face. But you failed me. It's not that you lost the scroll. Allah knows these things happen. The gunfire ceased. The pace of the woman's breathing quickened. Why I had to find out from someone else one week, a whole week later, remains a problem. Azar adjusted the fine linen of his collar. I don't need to hurt you. I want to hurt you.
hurt. I don't need to hurt you. I want to hurt you. I think he's a baddie. Let's see what the genius stream thinks. Um, starting off um, what they've seen, really, in the order of presentation. Um, Annie uh, jumps straight in and says, maybe too, a few too, too many commas in the blurb. Yeah, I was tripping over that a little bit, actually. Um, uh, Vagabond says, find that blurb intriguing, but also confusing. Um, Claire, quite a good blurb, but yeah, too many commas. A little vague in places, perhaps. Title doesn't seem to reflect the blurb. Carol is the first one to mention the, uh, the title. I'm not wounded by the title, actually. Let's see what other people think in a minute. Uh, what do you mean, says Carol. Barbara, not sure about buyers in third person. Vagabond says, don't like this. Could you be more um, explicit, please, Vagabond? Why don't you like it? Matt says, kind of tough for the work to beat the bio. And it's quite a bio, isn't it, actually? Yes. I'd like to know a bit more, says Annie, about the protagonist and stakes, aside from fighting a MacGuffin. Quite. Um, and then he goes on to say, maybe breaking glass would work better, or broken glass. I'm not wild about the whole glass thing, really, but blurb a bit confusing, says Carol. Is the artifact lost, or is it found? Save. Starting the tent scene is good, says Claire. Um, it's unassuming as well as enigmatic, bigger than imaginable, lost save. Jan says, title reminds me of the sign, in case of emergency, break glass. And Martin says, lively opening, I want to know what happens next, that's good. Um, a little overwritten, says Annie, the woman feels very different, quite pacey, says Johnny. Uh, beautiful red Barbara, absolutely, yeah, really was actually, I think Barbara excelled herself with that. First lines, uh, first lines need work says Carol. Not clear if a man with a gun sitting opposite her is the same as man. Um, and Johnny says, nice read, B. Lifted off the page, so did. Vagabond says, liked that. So, first of all, Vagabond didn't like it. Now, Vagabond is liking it, but we need to know why, please. Um, uh, Peyton's just joined. And Lex says, blurb had a bit at first, artifacts and library of Alexandria. Yeah, I so agree with that. But then... Descended to big stuff will happen. Excited? Need a little more there. Need a little more there. I think it could be cleaned up a bit for clarity, says Matt. But after the races is nice. Um, and Barbara, our narrator, of course, says, I would have read on. That's always a good sign. Uh, Vagabond, sorry, yes, I wrote, don't like the title. Ah, I get it. Then autocorrect got me. Um, and Lex says, the actual text was better with a, a, a strong in medias res. There, there are skulls that aren't bony. There are skulls that aren't bony. All right, your experience exceeds mine. Chandler Jewel says, intriguing, would read on. Um, and Vagabond says, felt a proper baddie, which was fun. All right. Let's ask our guests, Bob and Carol. How much fun did you have? Um, not a great deal. I thought it was, you know, the title did nothing for me. Uh, the blurb was there and thereabout. It obviously got the ability to write. Obviously a very capable person looking at the history he gave us about him. Um, it was quite punching bits, but then we've still got the woman sat there with a gun pointing her, we know she's done something wrong. Somebody stole the artifacts, uh, but it doesn't move quick enough. Then for yeah. me, I want yeah. to know a little bit more. <laughs> we seem to just keep going round the bullets on the table. I might kill you. I might not kill you. Yeah. It doesn't. You know, I wanted to either shoot her or do some. You know, shooter, <laughs> injure her, shooter, killer. So, you know, I'm that kind of person. I want. To, I want it to move. But and, yeah. I, and I think. Um, as it continues, we'll probably get to know a little more. But I always say it's how about how is how impacted is it to start with? And I think really it grips you because you want to know. Mm. 
what is this about and what's happening yeah, I think without he, a lot of background. I think if it were tightened up, it needs tightening up, I felt as though he was writing himself into it, and I know that because I do it mm. myself. Yeah. Um, and it would punch you in bits like Bob says, Jack Reacher-ish, I felt. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'd read on. Okay, you'd read on, and uh, you've given some marks there, which is very good. You don't like the title, do you guys? Let's just uh, get you a view on the title. No, it, no, it, it wouldn't make me pick up the book. You know, no, it, no. no it, it, does, it didn't do it for me. The title. No. I mean, you the know, blur, like blur promises a romp, doesn't it, really? And we know where we are. We're back in, you know, the 1980s and 90s and Indiana Jones and Steven Spielberg and stuff like that. But the title's got to reflect that, really, rather than just break glass, doesn't it? Don't you think? Yeah. 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 Okay, Ali. You're well known for your critical reactions, Ali. How critical are you going to be for this? <laughs> mm, my breath is baited. Oh, don't be, don't be like that. <laughs> Um, first, I want to know how many cats the author has, but if that's that information, well, not there. she's just um, not there. I'm not getting my kitty count in at all today. I don't think, but whatever. And dead cats, um, dead cats don't count, by the way. Um, yeah, the, the blurb. I, I liked the strong phrases, biblical proportions. I mean, that really gives you a sort of sense of something yeah. dramatic about to happen. Yeah. And, and also detail. The Library of Alexandria. You know, it's not just a scroll was found in a secret place or whatever. You know, I like that. Um, so I, I thought that was promising. And certainly, I mean, it opens with a bang, you know, there's a gun, there's an interrogation, very, very heavy sense of menace. Yeah. Um, and obviously a good sense of, of where we were and, and the time, just simply because they told us, which is, you know, it's quite nice to be orientated before you kick off. Um, the the thing, I, I mean, the woman didn't seem to come across at all. She just seemed no. to be fearful, which I imagine pretty much everybody. And whether it's simply because she's a disposable character. because She is. I think disposal. she's just there to die. <laughs> she's only, her only yes, purpose, exactly. I think, is, her, is to set up the bad guy as a really <laughs> bad guy. Really, don't you think? Yeah. That's my fear. Yeah, which, I mean, we certainly do that. Um, I mean, certainly Ethan appears to be that he is going to be the main character, presumably from the blurb, and at least he's mentioned early, but of course yeah. he's not in this scene. Um, and I do wonder if that's an error. Perhaps, you know, an Ethan scene might have might have given us a bit more of wondering why we yeah. cared about whether he was going to be in trouble or, you know, whether he'd taken the scroll or why he'd taken yeah. the stroll. Because at the moment we're, we're sort of a bit loose-ended. We've got a very bad guy, but we don't know why he's so cross. Yeah. Um, and we have a dead body. A dead body, dead body. One. yeah. So we we have an interesting. Mm. I mean, frankly, let's be <clears throat> let's be really, <clears throat> excuse me, viciously uh, realistic about the readership here. It's going to appeal to people of a certain age, isn't it? I mean, the people who actually did get excited about indie first time round. It's probably not going to to appeal to Gen Z and so on. It's going to appeal to people mm. of our age. Let's let's be honest about that. Let's see what the the genii are saying. Uh, and Martin says, Man of the Gun was an opening, not that original. That's what I feel too. I think actually, Ryan, you know, you can, you have to do a showpiece to, to, to kick this off with. You've got it. Whatever you're really good at doing, and presumably you're very good at the, the sort of the, the clunk click, <clears throat> the, the technical aspects of this. I think that's what you need to start with. That's my own view. Let's see what the uh, genius um, room is saying in addition to that. Uh, PC Frontier says, I like the writing. A good tense action start with the bad guy. I think the main character here I should be introduced soon. Not sure the title fits this thriller. I agree. I think it's a bit weak. Maybe change the title. Dialogue's well written, says Carol. Description sometimes overwritten. Matt says, my one question, who was the baddie shooting when he emptied the clip? She seemed unshot. 
at the end. <laughs> Maybe he's just just bad aim or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and Bob, uh, there's a comment on Bob here from uh, Vagabond. Bob is a get on with it and shoot her sort of person. <laughs> And Jan says, I think this opening was fun, but I think the stakes would be much higher if I had someone to care about, just a little bit more the characters. And also, says Matt, is, is Ethan Kane in interest, as interesting as the baddie? Well, that's always a problem, actually. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of the title either, says Johnny Carroll. Says her rapid heart causes table legs to tremble. Uh, not her own body. He unloads the gun magazine, then after, uh, slowly unloads it again. Uh, and Carol says, lots of potential here, good suspense, but how is the story unique, different from others like it? Yes. Okay, um, the numbers are... 63, Ryan. Not bad. I think there's lots of potential here. I'm not convinced that this is the right place for you to start. Um, there will be something you're really, really good at doing, and get that right up front so agents and publishers know... Let me just write that down, 63 start. Um, know what you're good at. Um, and I think the opening scene is a bit cliched, to be honest. So I think um, probably best advice that Carol said maybe start somewhere else. But I think that's a decent start to the show. And here we go. Submission number two. Science fiction slash space opera. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Good. It's from Patrick. In the year 3636. Wasn't there something like that? I think there was. I'm myself. James Enoch and Lania Surkov find themselves six light years from home on an archaeological mission. Oh, that's the subject of the day. Archaeologists. Archaeologists in space. I like the idea. Tasked with deactivating dangerous ancient technology. I like that as well. Mm. There's just one problem. When they land planetside, they find the world has already been settled by humans who left Earth on a generation ship in the 24th century. Soon, they must contend with fickle alien tech, a maddened mission commander, and the ultimate choice of factional fealty versus loyalty to humanity itself. This is about you, Patrick. I live in Iowa with my wonderful wife and three children. I've been an infantryman in the Army National Guard since 2013. I received a bachelor's in history from Cornell College in 2018 and have been a logistics professional for various companies ever since. I've been passionate about science fiction and fantasy um, since a very young age, and that's very typical of uh, SF writers, and penned the bulk of this manuscript from a watchtower while deployed in the Middle East in 2020. After months of peer review and uh, revisions, I was fortunate enough to get assistance from a professional editor in creating a polished draft. I'm not sure how important it is to say things like that, actually. Because, you know, if people don't like it, if the agents or publishers you're sending it don't like it, then it's kind of, you know, they're going to ask, well, how good was it before the editor got to work on it? So I'll probably keep that under your hat, actually. But what I'm not going to keep under my hat is that this reading comes from Ali. Silence of the Stars by Patrick, read by Alison. One. The last thing James remembered was his own death. He'd been trying to stabilise the backup reactor of an old pre-coalition orbital station and some component of the millennium-old's infrastructure failed. He recalled manually detaching the module from the station in an effort to save his team, relaxing his muscles in final resignation. And finally, the searing white light that should have certainly vaporised every cell in his body. Yet, 
to his dismay, he was undeniably very much alive. He'd been awake for nearly six hours now, locked in the fetal position on some sort of hospital cot. He was facing a wall covered in white cabinets, and he was entirely unable to move. First, this had been a considerable dilemma, and the rapid tempo of beeps streaming from his heart rate monitor adequately reflected his distress. He steadied his breathing, the one function he seemed to be able to control besides his eyes, and listened as the beep, beep, beep of the monitor slowed to a less concerning frequency. He had built his entire legacy on observing fine details. This was no time to break character. James decided to approach his predicament just as he would the initial step of an archaeological dig, methodically. All right, Jim, point blank. What do you see right next to you? He thought, and the answers flooded his mind. First was his body. Despite his lack of ability to exert motor control over his extremities, he was still able to feel they were all, fortunately, intact. This surprised him, as his first thoughts upon regaining consciousness had been nightmarish visions of the atrocious injuries he must have sustained in the explosion. Good, that's good. I'm all here, in one place at least. Next, the cot itself. The mattress was firm but comfortable, and the pillow under his cheek was internally cooled. Though a light sheet covered his body from chest to foot, the slight pressure around his midsection indicated the presence of a retention belt. I guess that means I'm still in zero G then. A hospital station, perhaps, or the medical bay of a fleet transport? He couldn't tell. He would need more evidence to determine what sort of vessel he was aboard. But no matter how hard he strained his eyes, his visual periphery was not wide enough to observe more than the wall he faced. So he looked upward toward the top of his head, where the heart monitor gave its constant readings. The medical data may as well have been in a foreign language, but the equipment it supported was enough to assist his investigation immensely. A pressurised canister fed a constant drip of fluids intravenously at his arm. This came as no surprise. He assumed that under the sheet an array of various catheters and tubes was sustaining both the input and output of his digestive tract, while the IV itself kept him hydrated and medicated. That was typical of an automated med station like this. However, the second pressurised canister attached to the monitor was not ordinary at all. The coiled, transparent tube full of pale yellow liquid stretched from the canister and disappeared behind his field of view. As he searched the annals of his brain for its purpose, he became aware of the slight pinch of pressure at the base of his skull. He was now sure the coiled tube was attached behind his head. Furthermore, he was sure the yellow fluid it ferried into his body was the cause of his paralysis. Images of the suspected substance being used on dangerous convicts, a banned disciplinary measure he had previously thought, danced through his mind. What are they using a nerve insensator on me for? Usually these drugs are for immobilising criminals. What have I done? Who's doing this to me? Oh my God, what is happening? His mind raced and the beep, beep, beep of the machine mimicked his frantic heartbeats. No, stop it, stop it now, he reassured himself. You're badly injured. They had to make sure you didn't move during the healing process. Think rationally, Jim. You're not a prisoner. You're a patient. Well, I, 
I have the great pleasure of being able to thank Ellie directly um, in, in the flesh in a moment for that for a great reading. Um, before then, let's just look at the genius room, catch up with them. Annie says, love this blurb. I'm hooked. I was hooked by the blurb. Absolutely. Yeah, I like the idea. Uh, but then we're, we're talking about the title and the blurb initially, of course. Matt says, Silence of the Stars sounds a bit dancing with the stars. And it, yeah, it was, Johnny, actually, wasn't it? Um, and Claire says, good blurb. Title made me think of Silence of the Lambs. And he says, title sounds good, but I feel I've heard it before. Vagabond, like the initial setup, not getting the hook. That's the word that I wrote down. Um, Carol says, title. Is this uh, silence literal or metaphoric? Not sure about title. Um, Jan says, I'm in. And Lex, listen to this. I mean, Lex says, sci-fi, space archaeology, human interest and conflict. Let's bluffing go. And Lex never holds back, does he? He can beat chat GP into, into a cocked hat. Uh, Carol says, blurb, story is interesting, interesting premise. Hell of an opening line, says Lex. Good first line, says Carol. Surprises and immediately raise questions, and Annie says, and she's got great taste. Great first line. Brilliant opening line, says Martin, although I've heard similar. Like this opening, everyone likes the opening, isn't that great? I'm really digging this week's theme, says Martin. Me too, actually. And Johnny says something really interesting, actually, because I know Johnny and I have discussed this before. He says, this opening has quite an Andy Weir feel to it. Now, if you remember, Andy Weir was the guy who self-published The Martian, which went on to be a phenomenal success, Matt Damon, etc., etc. And he's done another book. I can't remember the name of it. Johnny was raving about it a few days ago, and if Johnny would like to post the name of that book in the Genius Room, then we'll tell everybody, because re you really... If you're interested in this kind of stuff, you really need to read Andy, Andy Weir's most recent book. Um, author gets right to answering the who, what, where, when, says, um, says Carol, and puts the reader in the scene of the character. Flows well, says Annie, plus a little humour. Good so far. Um, let's just uh, skip ahead a bit, but obviously if you are Patrick, then you want to freeze frame and uh, watch, uh, just read, read every single contribution the, the genius uh, room have made. A little bit later on, Annie says, I think this could be a little snappier. Like a sense of panic, says Claire. Um, I'd read on, says Carol, which of course is one of the key tests at the end of our 700 words. Would we turn the page? And Carol definitely would. Um, Annie says it would be good if he could think about someone other than himself. And Hannah says, hello. And yeah, thank you, Johnny. Um, that's Andy Weir's current one, which I think everyone needs to look at, actually. It's called Hail Mary Project, the Hail Mary Project. Um, I like the entry says Jan, but, f uh, but feel like it needs to move on from the body check soon. I couldn't agree more with that. Project Hail Mary, yeah. Project Hail Mary, thank you very much, Donnie. Yeah, right. So, Ali, you gave us a fine reading there. You kind of saw this internally, as our narrators do. How did you feel about it? I liked it. I actually felt it was good, confident writing. It flowed very well. Because sometimes when you're reading, you do find the odd bits that you almost have to force your mouth to, to say. The, the yeah. words don't seem to flow very well. And actually, it flowed very well. Um, it, it was comfortable to read. Um, I felt, you know, they, they, it was very clear, obviously, where we were in time and space. Um, there was plenty happening. We start with an explosion. We, you know, find towards the end of only 700 words that he's potentially a prisoner. It's been raised as a question. Um, I like the fact there was a save the cat moment at the beginning. Wow. You know, he's busy trying to save his team when he gets nearly gets wiped out. Um, so, you know, so we already have empathy for the character. You know, we, we think he's a good guy. So we do get a reasonable amount of characterization and also from his internal dialogue. Um, so I, I thought it's not it's not my 
bag. It, it's not what I would normally read, but I did think it was it was well done. I, I agree that there is some stuff that could be taken out of it. It, it just got a little bit flabby in, in some of the medical it bits. It did a bit. Um, and also, if he's actually, in theory, this this nerve thing is, is not removing his sensory input because he can feel the, the hospital bed, etc., but it's removed all his motor, and therefore his respiratory muscles shouldn't be working, and therefore he should be ventilated, and therefore he shouldn't be able to control his breathing. <laughs> That's a good so, point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just yeah. as a little, you know, need to get your research right there, Patrick. Don't you? Actually, you've got you've got some valuable advice from someone who suddenly knows what she's talking about. There. Um, okay, so I, I mean, I'm I'm kind of thinking maybe I marked a bit low, but there we go. My marks are, are done. I'm not going to change them. Um, I my own feeling was that um, we are, I th you know, I was very excited by the dangerous alien technology. Um, archaeologists in space, absolutely, yeah, I'm totally signed up for that. But I wasn't getting that initially. I wanted, I want, you know, I mean, the concept got me so excited and I was just thinking, you know, you've got to hook me a bit more with, with the opening. And we're just getting a guy who's, you know, who's hooked, <clears throat> literally hooked up, I suppose, to a catheter. And I'm, I'm just not getting as invested as I wanted to somehow. So I think my rem my marks don't necessarily reflect the um, the um, you know the writing itself. They reflect the fact I felt slightly disappointed after a, a really quite a, quite a promising blur. But Bob and Carol, can I just say that this isn't normally my bag, like Alice said, and well read, Ali. That was great. Um, but I really liked it. I, I was really. It, it flowed really well for me. Um, it was engaging. I couldn't get past the thought. I kept thinking to myself, if it's 36, 30, whatever it was, yeah. that's how we're, we're, he's looking for what we're using now, <laughs> which is really weird. You know, the archaeology of it all oh, is actually yeah. our lives. It's like yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, I thought it was engaging. I'd definitely read on. Great plot. Yeah, I, I really liked it. He went for it. Fantastic yeah. bob. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Well, I apologise, Patrick. Uh, space is is not my thing, like Carol. Um, having said that, thirty thirty six, some of the information there I thought was, you know, you link into to the today, you know, a space induced coma coming yeah. out of it, tubes, etc. Yeah. Thirty thirty six. I think in reality, yeah. a lot of this will change. You know, yeah. you will have a visual image. And there'll be no literally visual connections. I would have thought uh, yeah. in the future. Uh, so therefore, it just let me down. I just want I wanted it to work better, uh, and I wanted it to to be more futuristic than what it actually that it really came across to me. So, but apart mm. from that, difficult subject. Um, yeah. yeah, I think I'd want to read a little bit more to see if it, it just drew you me would. In. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So PC Frontiers made a really good uh, comment, which I'm going to read. <clears throat> and uh, PC, when you do slightly longer comments, please do very much in favour of longer comments, but just split them into two or maybe even three posts so we can see them on the screen. I'm going to read the whole of your, yours. You say, I like the title. I think there could be a promising story here. A bit confused. The last thing the character remembers was his death and then he's alive. I think he, that he's in hospital for too long. I, I totally agree with that. I think we're dealing with the YouTube generation. Attention span three seconds. That's on average what people give each YouTube video before they, they go to the next one, which is a bit shocking, but that's the truth. Um, and the story needs to move on for me. Where is the sci-fi world building? Exactly. It's just what Bob was saying. We're supposed to be in 30, 36, 36. That's right. 36, 36 is a long time in the future. Maybe 
this is not the right place to start. And that's my thought as well. And Vagabond says, yes, Carol, talking to uh, uh, Bob and Carol. Yes, Carol, there are days when I truly feel archaeological, if I'm honest. Mm. I was making a good point, says Carol MS. And Johnny says, I have just carbon dated myself. I think the tech kit I used is clearly wrong. <laughs> That's a scary thing. It might not be. It might not be. Thank you, Genie. Uh, terrific comments from everyone. Everyone's on fast, actually. And the numbers are very good, Patrick. That is sort of monthly winner level, that is 72. So I don't know we're going to get a better score in the show. We might do. But we might not. Got very solid uh, marks all over there. I'm not looking for any particular weaknesses. I don't particularly care for the title. I want something that sticks in the mind, like a fish hook. If fish hooks do stick in the mind, actually, um, I need something a little bit stronger for, for a title, especially if this is a breakout novel from you. But I mean, what can I say? You've done really well. Now we've got something a bit special for you. As you might expect, with two guests like Bob and Carol. Yes, that's what you want to type into your browser, and that's what it's going to get you. When a killer strikes. <laughs> Title's a little familiar, but the cover isn't. What's going on here? Well, uh, this is the last book in the D.I. Dillon series that's oh. actually been uh, republished by Canela. So our yes. books, because we've obviously got uh, nine in the series, um, it's very hard to keep it like with one publisher <laughs> um, yeah. and have it all printed with the same, obviously the same colours that uh, the covers, sorry, that um, that are in line, if you like. So this is, yeah, so it's been republished by Canelo. It was actually published in 2017, and this is where we see Dylan. It's a bit more mellowed, you know, from when we started off with Deadly Focus at the beginning. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, as usual, we, you know, we're, we're looking at murder, um, drug dealing, everything else. But we've also got the human side, as we always have with Dylan. Um, he's actually buying a house, and obviously they're buying a house and it impacting on on what he's doing at work yes. um that's what yeah. we deal with the human side of both yes. sides of of the sio so job, this is like. this is basically uh, does an estate agent gets murdered no no, no it's, damn it's not damn da no sorry i wish i wish you no, would murder sorry. an estate i've got a few that i, I can put on well, a list actually actually they're having a bad time no actually the one between. that we're actually we've just submitted yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? It's an estate. Yeah. I'll buy that. Yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, my God. Watch, watch this space. But no, I think really in the title, it's also about how murder affects people and the community. Right. And, and the knock on effect it is not just the actual incident, but the aftermath and everything that's involved. Mm. And, was, and, you know, you start off in a murder inquiry and everybody's a suspect. And yep. it's about the devastation that can cause within a cu uh, community when you point the finger in the wrong direction. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. And people get, you know, yeah. labelled for something they're not. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's bringing up a lot of emotional issues uh, for collectively for the community. So yeah. it's a little bit different there. But the house that they actually end up buying um, has a secret... And it brings Dylan's home back to him and we're, his we're history, which, which I love. 
Yeah, which I love. Uh, but but saying that, talk, talking about what Bob's just been uh, telling you about, you've actually just done two documentaries, haven't you? Um, and again, I was going to ask you about that. You've been, you've been busy, bodies since last time, haven't you? You have done two documentaries and you've just delivered a new manuscript. <laughs> Tell us about the manuscript first, then we'll, we'll uh, see what documentaries you've been up to. You've just del del delivered a completely new standalone manuscript. Yeah, this this is a standalone. You're going to want, want a, an elevator pitch, are you? <laughs> yeah. No, well, no. Actually, I, I want to ask you first of all, why did you? Because you know, you do do quite a long series. I mean, that's you know typical actually of, of the genre. Once because once you you know re, you really like a protagonist, and the first thing the publisher is going to say, and indeed your readers, is can you write another book or ten um, ab yeah. about them and about this situation? So you've delivered basically a one-off. Why was that? Um. <laughs> Um, <laughs> people in the cost of the Asian. No, people in the cost of our Asian asked. Said, oh, look, really? Just, yeah. What nice clients you are. Asian says, do we have one of these? Asian. Yes, certainly. No problem. Yeah. Too. It says, why not just, I want you to try and just do me one to see, I'm going to float it and see what happens, where it oh, goes. Oh, right. Yeah. And, and yeah. from that point of view, we thought, right, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll have a look at this. Fantastic. And forget all the other characters we've had. We'll start again. And basically, this is a, a, it's, it's a police officer that's got himself, he's been injured, he's, he's been off sick for a while, he's got himself into a lot of debt, and it we're becomes... Look, we're actually looking at the gambling side. You know what? I mean, it's been very, very prolific at the moment, and, and yeah. we've just come in, I suppose, on, yeah. on nail, but, but, you know, yeah, we've been having... And he gets involved yeah. with some unsavoury got... people that loan him some money. Yeah, yeah and it's basically... Yeah, <laughs> but it's a case. Of how do you? How do you? I'm, I'm not. I'm, honestly, I don't. Want, I don't want you to give it away because you know the worst question. You did this no. really well. You did this. You're such pros. But the worst question you can ever ask an author is, "What's your book about?" You know, and think. Oh, well, if you really want to know, buy the damn thing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just don't, don't give us a thirty second summary. It's, it's really excruciating for many authors to be asked that. But I want to know how you <laughs> felt. When you delivered, what was it? How many words is it? Seventy thousand, something like that. No, it's actually eighty-six thousand and eighty-six and a half thousand. That's quite long. Did, do you feel exhausted for a week or two after you delivered? You just carry, pick yourself up, and, and go straight on to the next one. No, do you know? Well, because Bob, I mean, you know how we write Pete. So Bob actually mm. writes the first part and then he gives it to me, and then yeah. he's he's fed up. Then he's bored. He's like, mm, you know, you get yeah, on with it. It might, it might be seventy thousand words yeah. that I give him. Then I'll move on to something else. You know, and say, right. yeah, cool. Yeah, nice, play about with this. But but the thing for me is when it when it comes when that last, like you say, Pete, that last. Yeah. Yeah. Couple of months, that last eight weeks, uh, it is totally, totally draining. It is. Because yeah. you know, when you're reading a book and you you sort of you, you know you have to reread or whatever. Yeah. When you're writing it, especially for me, mm. doing the last edits, if you like, mm. when I get to the end of it, I'm emotionally drained I because exactly I can't don't drop understand the ball this. All Readers the don't along. understand this. But I'm glad you're talking about it. And, and I think anybody who's uh, who who. I, I, well, I just admit, I'm absolutely totally. Carol, <laughs> I'm gone. Carol's, one, yeah. Carol's one of these people that goes into lockdown. She yeah. can't. She can't yeah. have a radio on. She can't yeah. have music, yeah. background music. She yeah. can't be disturbed. She's yeah. she's locked into the zone. How where, do you keep the continuity if you're not? Where I get peace and quiet because I can't talk to her <laughs> until you know. 
All I can so say there's, there's a positive. All I can say, Bob Bridgestock, is you're a very lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, but but then he'll say, when are we having this tea? What you know? But no, um, you know, any writer out there will tell you that that's probably how they feel. And it's a very lonely place. It's a very very lonely place. Yeah. And you wait is. for your agent, Pete, to yeah. come back to you and say, I which our agent has sort of said, well, perhaps yeah. you might like to write another one now, and we might not kill yeah. him off in the end. Yeah. You know which. Which is fine. That's fair enough. But you yeah. put a lot of energy into it. It's yeah. so you much. Put a lot of energy yeah. into writing. Yeah, and it's an emotional. Books you write, I mean, it's, it's got to be it's, different. Yeah, I know. I know exactly how you feel. I've been. I've sort of. You know, I've seen people go through it at very, very close quarters actually, and it's, yeah, I don't and think it, readers be, begin to understand. They think you just. You know, just put the prompts into whatever. You know, whatever. And one, one, one of the things. Like, on to, one of, and one one of, to the next. Yeah, one. and one of the things yeah. that I always say. You know, it's like when you're putting your reviews in, guys. You know, if you if you enjoy your book from your favourite author or whatever, mm. please give them a review. Please yes. go on, like, you know, please, yes. please, please, because yes. because you know you do you do wait for them reviews, yeah. and you know you, you get a few sort of hackers or whatever because we get them in any industry, don't we? You know, you can go for your favourite mm. meal and you can think they're wonderful, and somebody else will give them a one star for nothing. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah, so we need the we need the good guys to come in and give us Definitely. if they've enjoyed it to give yes, us please. good reviews. Yes, please. Um, and before you do that, before you uh, you can do a review, but before you do that, go to lookbook.litopia.com. That's a shortcut to uh, to the link, and you'll, you'll you'll get that book. I've got more questions that I want to ask Bob and Carol. You may have some questions you want to ask them as well. In case, which case, flash them up, please, in the genius room or on the YouTube live chat while we have a look at the next submission. Oh, it's cats today! Oh my goodness! Yes, tell us how many cats you've got. <laughs> Writers and cats seem to go together. Dogs less so. I've got a kitty count going at the moment, which very sadly. It's zero. That's so sad. That's just really, really sad. <laughs> so if you're a writer, you've got some pussycats, tell us how many you got. You might even win the kitty cat of the entire show. While you do that, we're going to look at Star's submission, which is a mystery. So that's right up Bob and Carol Street. And it's called Death at Wild Bow. Is that Wild Bow? I was going to say Wild oh, Burrow, but that would be, that'd be wrong. Wild oh, Buff. Oh. Possibly buff, yeah. Wild buff, wild bow. Well, I'm gonna say wild bow because I think I think it's North American. I don't think it's, it's English, British. Rose is a mathematician and former cryptographer. Interesting. After becoming a widow, <clears throat> she moves to the beautiful Berkshire Hills of Massachusetts to start her new life. She becomes involved with the chief of police. Oh, look, Bob McCarroll. Prince <laughs> and helps him investigate the baffling death of a famous violinist. Despite her hesitations, a romance develops between them. When Rose discovers an unsavory event in the violinist's past and uncovers the possible reason for his murder, both her newfound happiness and life are in grave danger. I've inserted R there, because it should be R. And life are in grave danger. I'm interested in this. Been really interested in all three uh, blurbs uh, today, actually. It's sort of book I would read, definitely. Um, Rose, I have uh, an MBA and worked in finance while raising two daughters and my husband of 36 years. 
I enjoy various pursuits, including exercising, volunteering, gardening, quitting. Uh, that's quilting, not quitting. You're not a quitter. You're a quilter. <laughs> Change my glasses. Uh, knitting, playing piano, and decorating. A passionate reader for mysteries, I became inspired after a trip to the Berkshires and wrote two novels in a series. Now I'm consumed with the endeavour. It gets you like that. My mind continually brims with ideas, and there are many more books waiting to be written. Well, I hope, if there are, they will be graced with many more readings from Hannah. Death at Wildbell by Star Read by Hannah Murder was the last thing on her mind that hot summer day as Rose drove up Pleasant Hill Road, anticipating the concert at Wildbell. Although the day was oppressively warm, the skies were clear, ensuring the stars would be visible when her volunteer shift ended and she could sit outside with her best friend Sarita to enjoy the music. She didn't mind the humid weather. Now that she knew how cold the coming Berkshire winter would be, she welcomed the long summer days and didn't complain about the sticky heat. She kept cool with her hair up in a French twist and wore a light cotton dress with sandals. That evening, Justin Burton, the famous violinist, would perform an all Beethoven programme, Violin Concerto Symphony No. 7, and she looked forward to the joyful music. There you are, Sarita called out as they met in the parking lot. I'm so excited I might burst. Imagine the one and only Justin Burton playing in front of our very eyes in just a few hours. I can't believe it. She gushed like a starstruck girl bouncing on her toes, unable to contain her excitement. It's thrilling, isn't it? Almost as exciting as seeing Elvis, Rose said. Sarita gave Rose a sidelong look, as though wary of the comparison to her adored artist. Sure, I guess so. He's just so gorgeous and sexy, and he plays the violin like an angel from heaven. Her deep brown eyes took on a dreamy expression as she hugged her body, oblivious to the wrinkles forming on her yellow silk sari. Let's check in and get our ushering assignments, then we'll set up our chairs. Sarita traipsed beside Rose to a large table by the West Barn entrance. The volunteer director, Henry Sims, was busy directing his staff. Sweating profusely, he repeatedly wiped his forehead with a damp handkerchief. Rose and Sarita, hello girls, he said smiling. Phew, it's a hot one. Rose studied his hefty body with concern, noticing the sweat stains forming under his arms. Mr. Sims was a kind man and an energetic director, but his poor health worried many of the volunteers, including Rose. Hello, Mr. Sims, they replied. It's perishing, Rose commented as she signed the volunteer sheet and noted her sec assigned section for the evening. After completing their check-in, Rose whispered under her breath, He looked dreadful, don't you think? Yes, poor man, his health gets worse every year, Sarita agreed. Well, let's go claim our spot. 
It's crowded tonight with some musical luminary performing. The wild bad property was poetically pastoral. Immense manicured lawns were anchored by clusters of tall, mature trees. During the day, songbirds flitted to the leaves and the dusk bats emerged, beating their tiny wings as they ate insects. The western view from the main lawn was breathtaking. A series of hills, each one a unique, subtle shade of blue, undulating as far as the horizon. The colourful sunsets across the distant peaks were spectacular, bathing the panorama in a dreamlike combination of pastel hues. Carrying their lawn chairs and belongings, Rose and Sarita wound their way to the early concertgoers. Much of the audience had arrived early that summer day. Thousands of people sat on blankets and lawn chairs, chatting and eating picnics as children's voices rang brightly. Most amusing to Rose were the highbrow, fancy picnic settings, embellished with elegant tablecloths topped with candelabra, china porcelain and silverware. Once they arrived at their favourite spot, they unfolded their chairs and placed their coolers on a small blanket before returning to the barn to begin their shift. This was their routine every weekend afternoon, and Rose knew their items would remain safe among the music-loving crowd. Rose and Zarita had met at the Library Book Club soon after Rose moved to Stonington the previous year. Chatting one evening, they discovered their mutual admiration of Agatha Christie, Patricia Highsmith and Daphne du Maurier mysteries and especially liked each other's wry humour. They began playing tennis together and the two women became fast friends. Upon learning of Rose's classical piano training, Sarita suggested she volunteer at Wildbow. So how's work? Rose glanced at her friend as they returned. Thank you, Hannah. Another luminary there. Um, actually, you know what? I'm just going to put this up so you can find out more, actually, about Hannah. I can see Hannah there. She's hiding behind the pooch, but she's right bottom right there. If you want to find out more about uh, all the wonderful voices you're hearing today, and equally importantly, hire them to narrate your uh, audio book, um, because you don't want to be doing this on ChatGPT. Or, you just don't. I take my word for it. I mean, you know, we've messed around with it so much over the past couple of weeks. Hadn't asked uh, Bob and Carol about it. We will do in a moment, actually, after this, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I'll just write that down. But you, you need a real human being to give some emotion to your reading. And those are the people you want to ask. It's um, voice.latopia.com. You can find out about everyone. Let's look in the genius room. Carol says, title sounds like a cosy, uh, that's cosy crime, or an Agatha Christie type mystery. I like it. And I like it too for exactly that reason. Um, because we can sell lots of books like that. Yeah. Blurb needs a wee edit, says Annie. Bit too many spoilers in the blurb, says Vagabond. I think so. I, yeah. Um, Richard Osman Territory. It'll be popular, says Johnny. Um, blurb's intriguing. Not sure about despite her hesitations. Too vague. Um, Vagabond says, I like the idea that a trip to the butchers makes you write a book. You go, girl. <laughs> um, Martin says, great blurb. Another good opening line. Now, Carol MS says something that I, I thought when I read the blurb out loud, actually. She says, I'm guessing Prince was involved in the, quote, unsavoury event and you don't want to dim the suspense. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I've got a strong feeling about that. 
Uh, maybe rewrite the blurb. Uh, murder was the last thing on her mind, says Matt, behind a space alien invasion that ends in an ice cream outing. <laughs> Vagabond says, possibly too much weather in the first para. I wrote that down too. Um, Berkshire, though, gets good points from me, says Johnny. Clunky dialogue, says Martin. Several other people say that too. Um, Annie amongst. The gushing was a bit too much for me, says Claire G. Um, Sorry, if you're going to mention murder in the first line, you have to follow it up with something, says Vagabond. Matt says, not sure this is an opening scene as much as a way to dump backstory. Yes, and then Vag Vagabond continues to say, sadly, it's just not very interesting. Um, good setting of too much of it, says Martin. Um, and Lex says, Pete's really worried about ChatGPT plot twist. I've been chat GPT all along. Don't think I don't know that. PC Frontier says, the title could be improved. I think there is some good description which I can visualise. Uh, the start is too slow for me. More for domestic drama than murder mystery. And Chandler Jewell says, hello Chandler, by the way. Too much about setting the first 700 words. No hook for me. That's what I wrote down to Ali. Um, yes, no, I, um, it, it was a sort of comfortable read. We had a good sense of place. We, we knew exactly where we are, but I entirely agree about the time. You know, the mention of Elvis, did that mean we were there or just that the girl liked it? I don't know. Um, and things like the backstory, it's, it means great that the author actually knows her, you know, the detail about her characters, etc. but this is absolutely not the place we need to know about it. Literally, we're trotting along on a story and we'll go off on a little side path and go and visit a fair and do something completely different and then come mm. back again. It's just completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, some of the stuff, I mean, she, there were one or two odd phrases like that Sarita was wearing a yellow satin sari, and that takes us instantly to what Sarita's wearing, you know, three words, and, and mm. it's very clear. Yeah. But then there was an awful lot of other stuff where, I mean, she's, speaks about a miscellaneous songbird, you know, could it not have just been a nightingale? And again, we might have had a proper vision. Um, yeah. And, you know, all the posh stuff and all the rest of it, you know, bung in a pair of silver grape scissors, you know, <laughs> and suddenly we know exactly what <laughs> well, exactly. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, miss, you know, misplaced mine. Huh. <laughs> you know, it's when you can't find it, you know, life just stops. Really um, yeah. So... Uh, but they're usually by the celery bars, I think. Um, so, yeah, they're just, I mean, too much sort of, as it were, flabby description. And if we can just have these little, ta you know, blasts of, of colour that actually really do take you to somewhere. Mm. Um, there are also quite a few, sorry about this, Bob, but, the, you know, the, you know, as you know, Bob's, you know, the, well, Bob, <laughs> if, you know, we don't manage to get this, this trigger unstuck, they are going to shoot us and we will all die in the next five minutes, Bob, you know, and there were quite a few of these, you know, oh, well, as you know, he's really quite hard, well, you know, something that they would already yeah, know between us. Um, yeah. So, and the dialogue could have been either girl could have said it. We have no characterization no, of the no, girls. They, they were literally a homogenous female. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, and I think an age. But you were quite though, excited by the blurb. You gave that. You gave that pretty good mark. <laughs> Why was that? <laughs> she has ten cats. <laughs> I'm trying to think back too far now. <laughs> I, I quite it. I was excited by the blurb. I've always dreamt, actually, of, of starting, of getting a series going, involving a symphony orchestra. I just think that it goes really well. Go. You know, a bit of posh music, posh people killing each other. Oh, what's not to like? It's 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 the definition of cosy crime to me. So I got I got excited by the blurb, but it didn't fulfil for me. I'm afraid, Star. Um, I'll tell you more about my thoughts in a moment, Bob and Carol. I'm with you there, Pete. I like the blurb. 
but it didn't do it for me. A lot of lot of detail, a lot of backstory. People have said it already. And I think the important thing to remind people is 700 words. Mm. You've got to impact your reader, you know, or your listener in yeah. some cases, uh, that this is going to be interesting. I think the only thing we didn't know about the setting was what make was the violin. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. uh, that would have been quite interesting, actually. That would have been quite yeah. interesting. Somebody a lot, might a lot of the, different, I mean, Mr. Sims' health, this is the, the character who was sort of showing them in. I couldn't care less about his health, actually. We got several paragraphs yeah. about that. I think, I think as a, you see, I used to, people won't know, I am a qualified butcher, from many years ago, and if Star gets these ideas, in, in a weird way, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Actually, we haven't discussed <laughs> no, serial killers yet, but we will. It's obviously a conversation she has with a butcher. Yes. Wow. And all the blood that's about, you see, that comes yes. up with a murder. But it had the makings, and but I think when she revisits this, and I think she should. Yeah, I think it's so just, too. It's the wrong start. Yeah. It's the wrong yeah. Star. Yeah. Star, Star, if you're actually listening, can I just say to you, I write exactly like you're writing in my first, ed and then I edit it. Hmm. So what, sh like like um, Ali just said about like Asare, um, you realise that you don't need that in, so you take it out. So by tightening yeah. it up, um, Cozy is not really my type of crime, if I'm honest, to read. Um, but no, knock it. No, but, no, mm. but I, it isn't. So, it's very popular. I know, I know. Yeah. But I, I just, yeah, I just feel like, um, I, I, you know, I really was enjoying it. There's just too much of the settling in. Yeah, there's a lot of settling in. So a lot I of dumping stuff yeah. there. And I, I don't yeah. know, I didn't feel any anything ominous. I didn't feel that things were going to go wrong. I just felt there's a lot of info that Star wanted to, to dump on me. And really, right from the beginning, like Agatha Christie does. I mean, you mentioned Agatha Christie, actually, Star. You know, right from the beginning, you know, you just, it's like someone playing a violin but getting a few of the notes wrong. And you, you think, mm, this doesn't feel yeah. right. Yeah. It's going to get weird and creepy and sinister. Yeah. We just want that build yeah. up, don't we? It's like show not tell, isn't it? Yeah. That, that basically is it. And I think she yeah. could do that. Yeah, I really do. I think so too. Yeah. Murder over a Stradivarius, says Hannah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Vagabond says, yeah, but when Bob says, I used to be a butcher, I start to wonder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Matt wants to know, are all serial killers qualified butchers? They may be, actually. Yes, this is a great uh, revelation. We haven't actually... Uh, Just check the meat. Just yes. check the meat you're eating. Oh, my God, yes. That doesn't apply to vegans. Said for vegetarians. Though. I suddenly feel very virtuous. Yes, thank you. Let's look at the numbers. <laughs> hey, you got a 62. You got a 62 star. And I think that you've got some excellent advice there. I wouldn't mind seeing it again if you if you uh, haven't been completely depressed by the, uh, the comments. Hope you haven't been. I just, you know, you've got a passion to tell a story here. I want to see that passion come through. Because, to be to be honest, you know, let's let's give away one of the big uh, trade secrets. Agatha Christie and lots of people who who write, you know, enormously su successful um, uh, thrillers are not the best writers in the world. But they've got this passion to tell a story, and that's what comes through. And you've got that passion. Uh, we want to see that come through. Let's just go to. All three of us can't see Bob and Carol. Would you mind hugging each other, please? Thank oh, you. After hug. Yeah. Come here. Come here. Oh, that's come lovely. Yeah, right. take, you can take the photo now. Thank you. Thank you. She called uh, me just, to come out. So uh, Lex just accused me of being obsessed by ChatGPT. Are you guys worried about ChatGPT, Bob and Carol first, then Ali? 
No. no. Fine. Okay. Okay. No. Just wanted to check. I don't you don't think, think you're going to worried. be made redundant soon? I don't think we should be worried because no. everybody has their own taste about, you know, whether it's an audio book, whether it's an back, whether it's a paperback, uh, whether you watch a film. Everybody has their own acceptance of how they want to be entertained. So yeah. I don't think we should be too worried, uh, especially if it sells more of your stories. Yeah. It might do. You never know. Ali, uh, ChatGPT, authors, writers, any other industry, actually. I know you happen to have another day job. Um, are you worried about... <laughs> well, you do. Let's be honest, you do. You don't just restrict yourself to appearing on pop-ups, although I wish you would. Um, so is it going to impact you in any way, shape or form? I don't know is the answer. I don't think so, um, mm. but I don't know. It's, and and it, I guess it's one of these sort of, you know, wait and just sort of see how things roll. Yep. So, uh, so yep. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, right. Well, that's a, that's a very clear, we don't know answer on that. <laughs> clear clear <laughs> fence it. <laughs> yes, fine. All right, I have been doing a bit of, uh, we've been talking about this a lot in the colony, actually. I'm going to do a short video on it. In fact, if you want a video at the moment, it's a freebie, of course. There is this one that's free on video on uh, YouTube. It's uh, in our channel. Why don't you subscribe as well? Actually, subscribing would be a super thing to do. Uh, but it's there in any case, even if you, if you don't want to subscribe about putting together, throwing together a book proposal, the, uh, some things to do, some things not to do. And um, it's free for everybody. And it's not going to charge you thousands and thousands of pounds of dollars for a course because it's not the right thing to do. But it, the right thing to do, actually, is to look at submission number four, which I've been looking forward to all show. And I'll tell you why. Because it's called Goat Boy. Yes! Goat Boy. Do you like that title? Does that stick like a fish hook in your mind? As somebody said a few moments ago. Does it? I'd remember that. Science fiction is from Doug. And this is Doug's blurb. Jack, a tough young herder of cantankerous, genetically modified goats and his goat herding friends are thrust dramatically into an incomprehensible malevolent adult world riddled with alien influences they become accomplished thieves and find themselves the unwitting custodians of alien creatures they had never even dreamt existed i think lex is going to love this seizing an opportunity to brazenly steal a flying machine jack doesn't hesitate, inadvertently propelling them all into the epicenter of world-changing events. Hmm. And genetically engineered goats. What's not to like? Really? Or is it just me? Um, about Doug, this is my first book. It would be difficult to say I have any literary credentials other than the fact that I love stories and that can capture imaginations and deeply entertain. That's enough. Um and would like nothing better than to contribute to that creative universe. What a nice thing to say. It seems I have many of the same attitudes and eccentricities as Jack. Okay. Do we indeed? Do we indeed? Uh, and his cohorts have even lived a few experiences that parallel their own. Hmm. 
We need to know more. I believe this enables my portrayal of them to be accurate and unbiased. It's a humbling honour to be their scribe. I live and breathe in Calgary, Alberta, and include my travels to this new world as some of the best experiences I've ever had. Again, that's a very poetical way of expressing it, actually. By the way, I've just finished the second book, and I'm also working on what might be the fifth or sixth. My word, you sound like Bob and Carol, don't you, eh? Um, right, well, we want to uh, give you a fa fabulous launch for this, your first manuscript, and that, of course, has to come from Martin. Goat Boy by Doug, read by Martin, or Goats and Bugs and Flying Things, being the strange life of a goat herd named Jack, as told by his truthful friend Tebow, who was also there. Chapter One life as it was. The first thing he noticed as he woke was the sound of the raindrops tapping on the cold, damp canvas that he had pulled over himself when it started to rain. The smell of wet goat was the next thing he noticed, but that was always there. One of the buggers was laying on his feet, one up against his back, and one seemed to have laid its head right next to his. He could, through the top of his head, feel it chewing its cud. So as not to startle them, he gently pushed up the corner of the tarp beside his face and slowly raised his head. The rain was gentler on his cheek than it sounded through the canvas, and the dim light of the early morning sun had only a little warmth to it, but enough to lure him out of the trough in the dirt he had made for himself over the warm embers of his evening fire, now stone cold. The goats around him raised their heads when he did, making it easy for him to count them by name and out loud, all present and accounted for, both hands and two toes worth. A surreptitious but thorough scan of the surrounding grass-covered hills and mounds, quite beautiful in the changing morning light, showed no sign of lurking predators. His canvas sack was still there, nestled against his stomach, strapped across his shoulder. His man-long hardwood staff was where he had left it, stuck upright in the ground and within reach, ready for action if need be. He and the goats got up on their feet together and he tossed his canvas tarp over a brush to see if he could dry it out even a small amount before rolling it up. A fire was next, readily set with flint and steel and dry tinder from his sack. A handful of nearly dry dead twigs had it flaming and smoking quickly. Tearing a lump of his ever dough off his supply, he had it wrapped around a stick and propped over the side of the fire before he'd filled his coffee bag bug and thrown it directly into the embers. Jack had no idea why this little ball-shaped coffee pot was called a bug, but boy did it work well. By the time he'd taken his morning whiz, the coffee was whistling and the dough, the dough needed a turn. He didn't have that many goats this season, only a dozen. He did know how to count that high, but felt more comfortable with the physical reassurance of toe and finger counts. Old Sam had surprised him a month previously when he took back the larger number of the slowest and oldest ones he had initially been assigned and replaced them with what were obviously the hand-picked troublemakers, the ones no one else wanted and who were better kept in one small group so as not to disrupt the regular Rundleford herds. They called them goats, yes, but they weren't really the same as the goats of only a few generations ago. 
Their long necks and long legs and long stringy wool were apparently more like a cross between llamas and camels. Jack didn't have any idea what a llama or a camel was, but expected they were even stranger than goats. When old Sam and his father had almost come to blows over their competing views of what they believed modified genetics really meant and what Rundleford referred to, Jack just assumed that neither one knew anything or else they wouldn't have gotten so upset. His own conclusion was that mixing critters up was supposed to be like what happens when you add charcoal to iron to make it harder, as his father did in his smithy. The tallest goat he had was a good two metres tall when it stood up straight and almost another metre when you counted its long, slightly curved horns. Jack had come to enjoy these quirky creatures and firmly believed they were much more useful than the scrawny little goats and stubby sheep that ran loose around the village. And thank you, Martin, who is with us, of course, in the uh, Genius Room, because he is a genius as well as being a wonderful narrator. You want to know about narrators? This is where you go, voice.lutopia.com. You'll get some information about Martin there, actually. If you want to know about Martin, or book him for an audiobook, well worth booking Martin. Um, Goat Boy, wow, what's the Genius Room up to? Uh, they, they'll have an opinion on, on, on this, I warrant. Um, actually, they've got opinions on everything. Before that, they were talking about what we were talking about briefly. ChatGPT, Jan says, I think there'll be a, a huge audience for a crime thriller about a posse of writers who set out to destroy or kill ChatGPT. Because, yeah, Chaos GPT <laughs> is pl plotting that right now against us. We, we need to... It's the rise of the ro robots, guys. Let's, let's resist it. Matt says ChatGPT insists it will replace journalists. But I don't see the coding for going out and discovering stories. I agree with uh, and Lex says, ChatGPT is nothing to worry about. Move along. Continues assembling robot army. <clears throat> and he says, great title. Uh, has a literary feel to it. Oh, you like the title too? Carol says, title interesting. Yeah, great title blurb confused me, says Matt. Annie, what's the age group? I was wondering that. I think that's the fatal flaw of this. What's the age group? Is this MGYA or adult? And uh, it's just put science fiction, Doug. I got the feeling that you're a aiming this at an older reader. I don't think you should be doing. Uh, Claire says, Bur blurb disjointed. It, uh, Hannah says that. Is this middle grade MG sci-fi? The title and blurb sound like middle grade. Vagabond says, I haven't, I have an idea what that blurb is about, but I like it all. And Lex says, are the goats genetically modified to replace writers? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty wacky, says Johnny, isn't it just? <clears throat> Carol says, Blurb presents intriguing story, but I'm a little confused. Does Jack steal a flying machine before or after arriving in the adult world and aliens? Jan says, yeah, no idea what this is about, but I love the title, <laughs> Goat Boy. And Vagabond says, how many goat herders do we need? Asking for a friend. Um, big blocks of text, says Hannah. I call the main character Billy, says Johnny, but I, I'm a rather obvious Billy. <laughs> A uh, charming voice, says Annie, but it's a waking up opening. And Martin, Martin narrator says, I enjoyed the humour and imagination. What did you think, Ali? Um, I, I think the writer can actually see all of this extremely clearly. And, and what he's trying to do is kind of get all of it across to, to the reader. Um, everything he's sort of seeing inside his head. The writing is very fluent. Um, but he certainly, I mean, the first two no-nos. First is the weather. Um, yeah, and I think unless the weather really has something to do with it, you're recreating Wizard of Oz, and you have to be in a cyclone or a tornado. Yeah, um, and also they're waking, you know, again. So 
again, it's it's just sort of double no-no. And really nothing happens. In 700 words, yeah. he gets up, he makes coffee, and he pees. And I think that's really just about it. Oh, no. um, so I think, I also wonder if it should be written in the first person. Because again, drawing it great. closer in, if, if you're coming as, I am the goat herd, I am here, I'm smelling goat, and I'm being, you know, mm. uh, working with Katerka's goats. So mm. I think basically starting in the wrong place, you know, give us something actually happening. Um, and uh, rather than just telling us all your life story. And it's yeah. it's great that you can see it all, but, you know, just not all of it now. The cantankerous goat, you think, great. You know? I know, I know. There's something very sweet about it. Um, mine says, I, I felt like the work of a more experienced author. I did, actually. Um, the, the, it's just the prosology did. All his goats are present, correct? Asks Vagabond, not any goat I've ever met. Is that how they're modified? <clears throat> and it says the voice of the opening is different to the voice of the blurb. It is actually. Writing's clear, so Carol fl flows well, um, paced nicely, clean on the page, maybe at least a line of dialogue. And that's what Ali was saying to Matt says, I fear this is the wrong place to start. What's happening? The county of goats is not enough. He wants more. Matt wants more, but he always wants more. What do you think, Bob and Carol? Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely think the same. That it was started in the wrong place. We need to start with an inciting incident, something really to get us going, and yeah. you know, and then we could drop into yeah. uh, that. Um, yeah, I just yeah, wrong place, and and yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the the title's intriguing. I, I thought you know the sense of lightheartedness there, uh, yeah. and to say it's a debut novel, great, and. You know what hell of a goat if it's going to be two meters tall <laughs> you know you'd you'd be struggling looking after 12 of them i think but ah. having said that he can tell a story he can yeah. tell a story and it's I, an invasion of the killer goats that you know it's like we've said earlier and it's like ali said you've got this is the, the first page uh, you know or 700 words you've got to be impactive so you need something yeah. just to capture the readership, yeah. And I was waiting for that hook at the end. I waited yeah. for something diabolical for yeah. him yeah, to totally. say. Yeah. But, and then it's suddenly... Well, it's high know, concept, but, actually. It's high concept, isn't it? And you've, you've got to maintain that all the way. You know, don't get too heavy yeah. about it. Have you got any views, uh, Bob and Carol, about uh, who, who ought to be reading this? Because my, my strong feeling is this probably ought to be reorientated towards middle grade. Um, perhaps so, but I think we're all, you know... I think we like to jump out of different into different genres, and I think if it, if it's humorous, and like the title attracts you, and you think, "What's this about?" Yeah. Uh, and you start. I think, I think it, I don't think we should try place it, you know, because we don't know where he's going with it, and that's the difficulty for me is we don't yeah the age group we don't know what's going to happen later, you know, and I don't want kid you know if they're too young I don't want them worrying they're going to go see some goats that they're going to grow to. You know, two foot, two meters, should I say at all? But no, I, I, I need to know more before I, you know, give a, a yeah. general answer. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Lex says, "Yeah, three meters. That's not a goat. That's an endocritherium. Wow, <laughs> GM goats. You've got to be kidding," says Martin. Three meters, says Vagabond. I'm going to make milking a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh. Should have called it goat right goat rider. Uh, yes, actually, a Matt. I Go was wondering it. if someone was going to say this. A Matt, with his uh, encyclopedic knowledge of all things cultural, has has hit it on the on that on the head. He says Saturday Night Live. Yeah, 
had a goat boy character. I think Chevy Chase was the idea. Wasn't actually. It was a lesser known comedian. Um, I like, so I like e- Callie's. Go on. Sorry, I like Callie's idea of first person. I think that. I yeah, think that I, I, I very much really like well. that too. Actually, I think I think that's the way to see the world, isn't it? Actually, so it's an easy yeah. shortcut. Yes. Yes, and Lex says, milking a go like that uh, would, I think, be called using a fire hose, very likely. you got a 65 there, <laughs> Doug, and you've got an enthusiastic reaction from everyone, and hopefully some, um, some good pointers too. So I hope you're pleased with that. We're certainly pleased you made a submission. Oh, we're having fun. It's the end of the show. Oh, my goodness, sorry. Submission number five. It's from Wakiria. Seven magpies. Listen to this title. Seven magpies falling dead from the skies. That's the title. Hmm. It's fast-paced commercial contemporary fiction thriller. That's the genre. And this is Wakiria's blurb. Seven magpies falling dead from the skies. A novel of approximately 88,000 words. Which mixes elements of a political or crime thriller romance, shamanistic magic and climate change to create a story that's both a human drama and a global story. These elements are all marketable, particularly the climate issue. The combination of political skullduggery, revenge drama and global issues is an appealing brew. Is it indeed? Well, you know what? That's not blue, blue. That's not a blue. You could actually have wanted to. No, you could have incorporated some of that into the... um, about about yourself, actually, the bio stuff. Um, so I'm going to mark you a bit low on that, I'm afraid, because we do want to, you know, blurbs are hard work. There is this um, uh, seminar in, in calling on blurbs as well, if you want to have a look at that. Um, but don't, before I tell you about you. Um, I'm the daughter of a native Brazilian woman. I now live in England. I'm a psychotherapist in private practice and an aspiring author. I'm a climate change, uh, sorry, a climate crisis activist and volunteer translator for Stop Echoside. Ever since I can remember, I deal with trauma through writing. Seven Magpies, which I, I think the title's great, is my therapeutic process helping me deal with my echo grief. My previous book is a well-received self-published memoir called The Mother of Honey. Another interesting title. A memoir dedicated to my mother, which had a profound healing effect on me when she finally departed from this world. And I'm delighted to say we've got a great reading today for you from Jeff. Seven Magpies Falling Dead from the Skies by Bacuria, read by Jeff. I have just seen one magpie falling dead from the sky, overheated and sorrowfully alone. Have you ever seen seven magpies? Unless I see seven magpies before my very eyes, this story will be told. I will care nothing for your reputation built on lies, greed and hatred. Yes, I will exult to know that now you are nothing. There is nothing left of your legacy. I tried love, forgiveness, but nothing catapults me more than the hatred running through my veins for you. Oh, how I tried to be that drop in the ocean of badly needed change. What good did it do? I must drown in acidic, plastic-fueled, oil-infested seas. You and your shareholders helped pollute. I never thought I would feel such 
peace in watching you slowly die before me. I can feel the pain and humiliation you inflicted on so many evaporating from their hearts. I see the blood that is pouring from you cleansing their souls. I am finally at peace and ready for battle. He feels more than hears the car slamming into flesh. The banner falls, only then does he see the small figure behind it. Stop the car, Alex! And his voice is terse. Hiding behind oversized sunglasses, lost in her very private world, Clarissa is oblivious to what has just happened. She recognises the angry, anxious tone in her husband's voice, though. She is puzzled. He has always been meek, disinterested, and slightly disassociated from day-to-day -day life. But recently, Clarissa has noticed a change in him. Well, maybe he's finally coming to life, she thinks. Then she realises that the muffled sound she has just heard, thud, thud, was the sound of Alex running someone over. Thud, thud, such an eerie, tiny sound, she mutters to herself. Alex hesitates. He shows a hunch, betraying the tremor in his limbs. Stop the fucking car, Eddie says, beginning to lose his usual self-composure. Drive on, Alex, if you know what's good for you. Carissa knows the chauffeur's under her thumb, under her spell. I don't fucking believe you, woman. Alex has just run someone over, and you're suggesting we just drive on? Are we going to just leave this person to die? For God's sakes, Eddie, we can't afford a scandal. This could turn ugly for us. Alex, drive on as fast as you possibly can. Clarissa ignores her husband's agitation. She taps her hand against the chauffeur's shoulders. Stop the car! Eddie slams his hand on the patient's seat, making Alex jump a little, though it's menace in his voice. In shock, and to Clarissa's surprise, Alex stops the car. He's damned if he does, and damned if he doesn't. He's disoriented by his boss's conflicting instructions. Images of Processor behind the huge banner flood his mind. No sane civilization poisons and destroys the home planet. Eddie jumps out of the car and rushes to the prone figure, a young woman lying still, too still, on the ground. He grabs his phone and calls for an ambulance. Do you think you can put your arms around my neck? I'll try and move you to the pavement. He says gently, trying hard to appeal calm, though his heart is beating fast against his ribs. Eddie can see the girl looking up at him. She opens her mouth in an attempt to speak. I've never been in love. Please don't let me die without falling in love, she whispers before passing out. A word stirs something in Eddie. He looks at her, transfixed. She's young, not much older than his son, who is safe behind the grand iron gates and gilded lettering of his boarding school oblivious to the battles being fought outside. Eddie is confused by his need to protect this young woman. He starts talking to a god he doesn't believe in. Thank you so much, Jeff. Another Ooh. cracking reading. We had some great readings today. Have I told you? <laughs> you can actually find out more about our narrators. Have I? Have I, have I mentioned that before? Voice.latopia.com. I think I have mentioned it, actually, yeah. Uh, nothing XC is like success, like excess. Um, now, what did you think of that? We got some interesting reactions in the genius room to the title. First of all, let's have a look and uh, see what Chandler Jewel says. Love this title. Uh, blurb doesn't need marketing bid, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have commented on that. That's way too much wrong for me. Says Vagabond feels confused. Matt says title goes a bit over the eight character sweet spot. It does. Sometimes long characters, um, long titles do really well, actually. So. 
I guess it's only the, the medium-length titles that we are concerned about. I want to push them one way or the other. Uh, Johnny says, the time and place for selling yourself, but it isn't the blurb. Hannah says, opening line, too much of an echo of the title. Um, Carol says, blurb, what kind of crime and skullduggery? What kind of human drama? Romance, etc. Need some specifics, an indication of characters and stakes. What have the magpies got to do with this opening to the story, says Vagabond. What's going on? Says Claire. Um, yeah, Annie says needs an edit. Vagabond says I'm totally lost. Um, Carol says I struggle to understand what's being conveyed at the start of the opening scene. It was confusing, felt overwrought. That's an interesting word to use. Uh, seven for a secret never to be told, of course, says Claire. Yes, significant there, perhaps uh, in the number seven. I'm not enjoying this, says Hannah. And I'm paying attention to what Hannah fields here. I'm not enjoying this, giving me very negative vibes. Hmm. Cracking reading, says Martin. Jeff, and it certainly was. Um, Carol says, accident scene has potential. Lots of complex, conflicting emotions, but it's not yet working. And Annie says, never thought I'd say this, but I think this needs to slow down. Yeah. Who are these people? Not sure what to latch onto here, says Matt. Um, and Annie suggests... And we always make suggestions. Uh, maybe you start with him looking at the woman on the ground. I don't care about the characters, says Claire. Martin says mate, something very perceptive, I think. He says, although not perfect, a pleasing unsettledness about this. I very much picked that up. I, I wrote that strangeness. And I thought the strangeness of this is quite compelling, actually. Um, whether I, I would feel that after another dozen pages, I don't know. Um, don't believe a girl would say something like that, says Annie. Hmm, I wonder. It, it, I must say it did work for me, but that's because I was in a slightly different universe because of the, the strangeness. And so Vagabond says, don't let me die without falling in love. Rubbish! Unbelievable! Says Vagabond, who is always, of course, very down to earth in these things. Um, some of this feels like it's written by ChatGPT, says Annie. No, surely not. Clearly English is not writer's first language, says Carol. This is very hard to read as written, so congrats to Jeff. Whose point of view is this? says Chandler Jules, confusing trying to follow characters. Okay, um, Bob and Carol. Do you just, do you think that this could be over-editing by the writer? Might be. Do you know what I mean? So mm. they know in their head. Yeah. Because I just felt really confused. I don't know about yeah. you, by the first bit, like who was this I? Yeah. And then... Yeah, I, I, it just felt very disjointed, but it, it felt almost like the writer knew what they were thinking and what they were feeling, but but yet they'd taken huge chunks out of it out. And that's why there come this slow down feeling. I don't know, yeah. that, that was just yeah. my Well, my you're feelings. not the only person to think that, of course. The, the Genius Room have said something similar, actually, yeah. I'll start with the title. I think the title was too long. You could have just said Seven Magpies, Seven Dead Magpies. Um, Seven for a secret never to be told. Yeah, no, I, I wrote that down there. Uh, I wrote that, so that's what conjures in people's minds, Seven Magpies, you know, and you've got a shorter title. The other thing for me with a blurb was a, a more of a pitch or putting, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm te it was a telling, I'm telling you this yeah. is what this is. Yeah. And then when you come on to the main bit, it started in the wrong place for me. And like it's been said already, do you start it with the when the person gets hit by the car as the start? Or do you start with the person, don't let me die before I've fallen in love? Depending what the novel actually continues to be. You know, if it is romance, 
then that could be a, a great first a, a, line. A, a good first line for her. Yeah. So I think I think they've thrown I think she's thrown a lot into the mix there, and some of it's she's trying to make statements, and I don't think that sometimes works. Uh, so tell a story, but again we're back to you've one chance to impress yeah. the people. This, you know, at the end of the day, this is a, a commercial product. People, you know, you, people want to buy this, and if they're going to buy it, they want to be drawn in straight away. Yeah. And for me, it didn't. It didn't. Um, you know, there's some good bits in there, but there's some also some what I consider to be. So not, let's just talk about the story title. Telling. Let's just talk about the title, guys, because um, Annie has made a very interesting suggestion about just seven magpies falling dead. Does that do it for you? No. I, I, I still think. Do, do you need? You know, seven dead magpies. You know, you, you, do you need or just seven magpies? Because anybody that knows about the magpies would think a secret to be told, and if they're interested, would would flip over. But it what depends. Does, what it depends what comes later in the book, whether it's relevant or not. Mm. And I think yeah. we're judging it on seven hundred words. But wow. the title for me, seven magpies. You know, following oh. different. If you're a bird lover, you're not going to touch it, are you? Oh. You know. I mean, you know, if you like goats, you're not going to like this. But <laughs> the thing for me is that people get switched off very quickly. You they know, do. They've got they such, do. such a variety to yes. look at now. Yes. And your book has got to be one that really stands, stands out and lets them spend time to look at the blurb. That title's got to draw me to look at the blurb. Yeah. It doesn't for me. Yeah. It's just yeah. too lengthy. tells a bit too much. Okay, all right. Sorry. Well, yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, Hannah likes Seven Magpies. I was just going to refer to Hannah's reaction. I uh, felt quite negative, actually. I think there's a voice. No one, no one's paid to have the voice. I think there's a very interesting voice here going on, but I may be in a minority on that. What did you think, Ali? Um, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, I'm just having a, a think about the title. I mean, I do think maybe Seven Magpies and maybe a, a strapline underneath you know, the secret never to be told or something. Yeah, and so you yeah. could actually toss it in, but the, the main title has seven magpies. Mm. Um, certainly the difference in tone between the first bit and the second bit, I mean, it was mm. a, a, an astonishing difference in tone. Mm. I think if you're going to do that, presumably the author was just trying to bring in a, a strong sense of menace. You know, there is something truly dreadful happening here, and, you know, I may sit on it, I probably won't. Um, and then we end up with a completely different turn for the main body of the story. I think if, if they're going to do that, then it needs the main body needs to be chapter one, you know, five years earlier, you know, something to just give us some hook of where we now are, because it, it really was just in such a huge hump. I thought the dialogue actually showed the um, the characters quite well. You know, that you could have actually made a statement about each of the characters by the end of it, um, who they were and about the dynamic between them. But there yeah. was such dreadful head hopping, which is where I think some of the confusion came from. You know, at any yeah. one time we could be in Alex's head or Clarissa or whatever the chat was called. Um, yeah. So, and I think that was, you know, it really did make it yeah. difficult to follow. And certainly, yeah, I mean, lots of drama right at the beginning, you know, somebody being run over. Us, you know. But that, of course, wasn't quite right at the beginning because we had this piece of menace. So I think probably that needs to be clipped off. It's not quite a prologue pile, but it's, you know, it, it does. It feels like a prologue. Yeah. I think it's a prologue uh, masquerading yeah. as something else, actually. I think that's what it's doing. Yeah. 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 And um, I think the, the girl, Don't Let Me Die Without Love, is just too blindingly obvious to set up and completely incongruous. Uh, 
in the fact so you didn't believe it let's, let's let's just get a straw no. poll here not none of you <laughs> believed that did you because i i have to say i maybe i'm just a great big softy but it got me but it didn't get you at all right no no no, no. i don't think it got what does that say about us as characters yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. like so someone's dog is determined to weigh and whose dog is that it's, 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 Dylan. it's, it's, it's a rescue, a rescue. I, think, I think he's just seen a three metre goat outside <laughs> the window uh, uh, either that or a neighbour's cat bless him, he's yeah, the Hungarian cat. dog yeah he's, he is. Uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a rescue he's a retriever he will he's got a long way to go to retrieve anything hasn't he really at the moment hopefully he won't yeah. go back hungry to doing it uh, retrieving someone's cat was barking we have a zero cat count kitty count at the end of the show i'm very <laughs> sorry about that pc frontier says something very interesting the book starts with an accident but sorry there's no pace no tension little reader interest i think this needs a rewrite okay so um, I don't. I don't mind the title length, says Claire. Rhyme is engaging too. Matt says, "Just call it seven and end the thing with the head and box." So oh, I think that's happened before. I like the title as is, <laughs> says Martin. The skies add scale and contrast. I think it does too. Yeah. Um, dog doesn't like the story either, says PC Fred. Jan says, seven yeah, magpies falling from the skies." <laughs> For me, it's intriguing. Yeah, and it has me thinking and wanting to know more. It had that effect on me too. And Johnny says, uh, what Ali's saying, the stylistic change was very jarring. I think it was as well, actually. I would have gone, yeah, I think I would have just made the opening scene, the opening scene, and really focused on that. Um, Vagabond says, Lex, not a dog, a genetically modified goat. And Matt says, someone's cat was barking. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, uh, and hello, Jethro, by the way. Nice to have you uh, with us. So we look at the numbers now everyone's voted i think they have you got a 53 there i think what's uh let you down quite badly is the blurb though actually we'll carry um if the blurb had um come up to oh, you got lots of comments there and i'm not going to try and recap everything because you've got lots of um hopefully helpful feedback straightforward honest but without an axe to grind and that's the great thing about um pop-up submissions So that means we've got an overall score today. And yes, it is actually a, a stonkingly impressive performance from submission number two today, who happens to be our show. Congratulations, Patrick. Silence the stars. You got a 72. That is a good score. That could be a monthly winning score. And I'm not, I'm not crazy about the title. A lot of people in the uh, genius room were not that crazy about the title, but you know what? If you uh, polish that title a bit, your score will be even bigger, even bigger, even greater. So definitely want to watch, and who knows, you might end up the, quite easily end up the, uh, the monthly winner. Thank you, Ali, for both being on the show today and for narrating, actually. A double pleasure, actually. Isn't that fantastic? Talking about double pleasures. Bob and Carol. I don't know how... Where do you get the energy from? Do you take drugs? <laughs> no. We don't have time. Caffeine. Okay. Why is Caffeine. that well, extraordinary? No. I'll, I, I, I take that back. Alcohol. Wine. <laughs> Lots of wine. Well, that doesn't help you work, though. That just lays you out on the floor. I guess, I guess it, it, gives, it gives Carol quiet time while... Yeah, so she can get on churning the words out. That's extraordinary, actually. But you are seriously productive. I mean, are you guys supposed to be retired or something? 
Yeah, yeah we retired a long time ago. Yeah, I'm, um, only, I'm still only young. I'm, I'm only 71 now. So <laughs> I've still a few years to go. So and we didn't start writing until late in life. So yeah. So actually, how many books have you, have you? How many books have you actually published? Um, are too many 13? to count, I suppose. Thirteen. 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 Yeah, be fourteen with the next one. Hopefully, if we get um, somebody yeah. who wants to publish our next book, it'll be fourteen. Oh, the one after that. And we're actually writing, and we're writing uh, book five of D.I. Challenge Man. Wow. Yeah, so that's going to be 15 pretty soon. So what does that work 15. out to? Have you ever worked out how many books a year you've produced? Because writers do sometimes compare each other, you know, on, on that basis. How many no, books no, a year we do haven't. You? Ever. We, we, start, we started off at pace. At <laughs> yeah, we started off at pace and we're writing two a year. Yeah. Uh, in reality now, we've slowed down. And yeah. we're probably, every 10, 10 months, you know, the first draft will be ready to go and you know it'll take a little bit of editing but you we've decided that one a year is enough i think you become a bit more critical about yourself as well yeah, i think you so. know that yeah. i think as right as you've got more books published you do become less um self-assured the, the annoyance um, for our readers is that you know it might take us that long to write it or to get it published and then they read it in 24 48 hours and say when's your exactly. next one out <laughs> Exactly, and you think, yeah. do you realise how long it's just taken yeah. to do this? But we we enjoy it, uh, and we you know the idea is we we do tell stories. It's like you said, hey, we're probably better storytellers than we are you know authors writers. or writers. Some you know writing that, is just a way of telling stories. It's not it's not a means it in itself. It's a way of telling stories, and we mm, are in the exactly. entertainment we, business, which people sometimes forget. In publishing, and we do. We're actually um, we're actually patrons for quite a few charities. So yeah. Um, yeah. we we did we actually use use what we do to educate some of the charities as well. So we work with some of the charities. Um, try to get people to write their story down because mm. everybody's got a story. And Absolutely. I think we we yeah. we've actually come to realise that as you do get older. And mm. um, we don't have that, the memories of our grandparents or parents yeah. because they never wrote their stories down. Yeah. Um, and I think even if you just keep a diary, and this is what we mm. try to in encourage, like the homeless and, you know, people, the charities that we have with the aged population especially, and young children, write, yeah. write down your feelings, write down your yeah. stories, and everybody can do that. Our, our grandson wrote a short story, The Queen Has Lost Her Glasses. And, and sent it to the Queen. And it went, really? you know, Penny Queen. And he got a lovely letter And he got a lovely letter. Got a letter, and, letter uh, yeah. Unfortunately, just, she couldn't read, read it because she'd lost her glasses. Because yeah. she'd lost her And he'd done yeah. all the, he'd done all the uh, drawings yeah. as well for oh, it. And yeah. you just look and think, you know, that's yeah. great. But it, it's yeah. about having the imagination as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, writing is very, and, a very special it, thing. I mean, keeping diary a great idea. Journaling, which is very, very similar, a great idea too. Um, yeah. You are by far and away uh, right in the top league of our favourite guests here on Pop Ups. And oh, thank you so much. We thank hope you. To see you soon. And good luck to yeah. every endeavour. We haven't even mentioned those two documentaries, Murder in My Family. Um, that's done. I think it's going out soon. And there's uh, yeah. another one, the serial killer Robert Black. So much more to talk about. I'm going to hold that. Until we see you again, and I'll thank you so you much for having us on. And well done, everybody. Yeah, and well more done everybody. than a pleasure. Well done, everyone who submitted today. Well done, and Alec. Do join us again, same time next week. You